You're listening to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for all the lazy learners who are learning to navigate life after Mormonism. I'm your host, Lindsay Ron, a personal trainer, nutritionist, health coach, and post-Mormon. Come with me as we re-examine everything you've ever been taught over the pulpit about nutrition, mental health, sexuality, and body autonomy, so that you can experience your best health beyond Mormonism. Now let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Health Beyond Mormonism. I am so excited for this episode, you guys. Today I am going to give you an introduction to alcohol. I call this episode Alcohol 101. And I find that a lot of times when people leave the church, you know, you have this very structured uh, uh, set of rules when it comes to what you can drink. (laughs) And alcohol, as you know, is like a big, big, big sin. You know, you drink alcohol and that will actually bar you from getting into the temple. It is such a huge, immoral sin. And the thing is, if you leave the church or if your uh, ideologies change to the point where you no longer um, accept like the authority of the church and the paradigm of sin as set forth, you may be interested in learning to experiment with alcohol. And I, as a health coach, have a lot to say about this. So in this podcast, my goal is to give you resources so that you can navigate life as healthy as possible outside of the framework that you have been taught your whole life. Um, And as a coach, what I want to do is I want to make sure that you understand both like the good things and the bad things, what's going to be helpful for you so that you can make your own dang decision as an adult because you're a big boy or a big girl and, you know, you're here on earth to make your own choices and alcohol is one of those things. So I I am huge on taking the morality out of your health choices, taking the morality out of food and drinks, the whole idea that you see in the world of like, oh, you know, this chocolate cake is sinful because it's so delicious. And, you know, that's adding morality to foods. Um, And ultimately what we see in, you know, in the nutrition world is that this morality, when you add it to foods and things, more often than not ends up causing disordered eating behavior. And the same can extend to alcohol. However, alcohol needs to be nuanced because there are actually some health concerns with it. And so that's what I want to help you do. I want to give you some resources, give you some background so that you can imbibe or not. And it is your decision. Oh, so fun. Okay, I'm so excited for you. Okay, so um, a little bit of history. Um, I think we need to back up to the word of wisdom because we need to understand why the LDS church considered um, or considers drinking alcohol to be such a huge sin in the first place. And the history here, I could do an entire podcast and I think I will at some point call in an expert to do like just a full episode of just word of wisdom history. But uh, the history is not quite as straightforward as maybe like what we were taught in church where you may be familiar with the story of like Emma Smith got tired of cleaning up the tobacco spit from the floor and then she told Joseph Smith, hey, this is gross. And he went and prayed about it and received the revelation that became the word of wisdom, which is has been adopted by the church as like the ultimate health resource, the guidelines of what to eat and drink and how to, you know, how to deal with your body, (laughs) right? Um, That's not exactly how it happened, Um, but it's, you know, close enough. And we can get into that another time. But at any rate, um, Joseph Smith received the revelation in 1833. Uh, So that's a while ago. And at the time when he received the revelation, if you read the words in the Doctrine and Covenants, it actually says this is meant to be just that, a word of wisdom. You know, this is not a commandment. Well, anyone who's like modern in the church nowadays understands that the word of wisdom is a commandment now. And there's a little bit of history there. Um, At some point, Brigham Young. So remember, Brigham Young was the second prophet 
Brigham Young had had like a general meeting and he sort of challenged the congregation to uh, to try to live the word of wisdom. And it was sort of like a sustaining kind of invitation, you know, raise your hand if you're willing to do this um, in order to help, you know, just like, a cha- just like, you know, how today sometimes like the prophet will say, hey, we're going to have a social media fast. Who's in? That kind of idea. And so it was a challenge, but it still was not a commandment and it still was not enforced. In fact, we have, you know, historical evidence that like Joseph Smith drank, Brigham Young drank, Brigham Young had distilleries on his property. Um, you know, the church owned distilleries and bars. And so drinking was still part of the culture, even through that time. It only really became prohibited in, I want to say 1919. You can check me on my facts if you want to. Um, So President Heber J. Grant made it a requirement for receiving a temple recommend. And there's there's some back and forth with the history here. Um, A little bit of controversy because you know, there's some evidence that Heber J. Grant kind of went back in history and changed the story of when Brigham Young uh, held that conference and challenged everyone to keep the word of wisdom. You know, Heber J. Grant is saying that's the point when it became a commandment. And that's kind of what everyone believed is retroactively, oh yeah, Brigham Young had this revealed as a commandment so long ago. Now we're just going to start taking it seriously. And so that's that's sort of the controversy is that Brigham Young never actually made it a commandment. Uh, Heber J. Grant is the one that got it put into the temple recommend questions. And even then, you know, the, the terminology of like, is it a commandment or not to keep the word of wisdom? Even today, people will sort of go back and forth about it. It's still kind of controversial. But the fact is, in the, in the usage, the way that we use the word of wisdom now, how it's a temple recommend question, which means you are barred from being able to go into the temple, which also means you are barred from any of the blessings that you would have received in the temple, which means basically there are cosmic consequences if you don't keep the word of wisdom, which to me makes that a commandment. <laughs> so, you know, this, this may be... Um, this may be semantics, but I would say that these days the church treats the word of wisdom as a commandment. Now, the word of wisdom goes over all kinds of things. Um, they go over, you know, coffee, tea, tobacco use. There's there's several things in there, and we can have another episode just about straight up the word of wisdom. But I want to stay on topic today because today is all about alcohol. And alcohol is one of the top main word of wisdom um questions today, uh, you know, one of the top main topics that we really focus on in the church, like as sin. Okay. So when you read the actual words um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which for Mormons, if you're not familiar with Mormons, there are several canonized scriptures beyond just the Bible. And the word of wisdom comes from the Doctrine and Covenants, which is basically revelations given to Joseph Smith during his days that were turned into a book and sort of became canonized as like Mormon scripture. Um, so the Doctrine and Covenants is in section 89. And if you read through there, they talk about, you know, don't drink wine. That's not good for you. Um, but you can have wine in sacraments. So, um, Sacrament is like, a, it's Mormon communion, basically. Mormon, weekly Mormon communion, um, the wine and the bread. So in the verse, it says, you know, don't drink wine or strong drink, except that you can have it during sacrament. Um, and we today don't have it during sacrament at all because all wine is a sin. Like it's very black and white now, but it wasn't then. Um, and if you do have wine, it says in the scripture, uh, only pure wine that you made yourself. So, you know, it doesn't have any additives or anything in it, which kind of makes sense because even nowadays, like when you look at wines at the store, a lot of them do have some sulfates and stuff that can can kind of give some people problems. And so that kind of makes sense. Um, 
you continue reading, you know, this is section 89, verse 7. Um, and again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. So by strong drinks, they're meaning things like liquor and things with a higher alcohol percentage. Um, and, you know, and the fact is lining out other things that you would do with liquor that may be more useful than drinking it, like washing your bodies. And back in those days, there weren't a lot of antiseptics. So that totally makes sense. I've got no problems with that. Um, and, and then as you read on, um, nevertheless, wheat for the man and corn for the ox, oats for the horse, rye for the fowls and for the swine and for all the beasts of the field. So they're saying, you know, uh, you should be having cereal grains or are lined out in this scripture um, and barley uh, and for mild drinks and also other grains. So barley and other cereal grains for mild drinks. For those who know anything about mild drinks, <laughs> that's beer. <laughs> so here in the actual scripture, in the canonized scriptural text of the Word of Wisdom, they are saying that you should be drinking beer, uh, which is super funny because that's opposite of what they teach today. You know, it, it's really interesting in the culture in Mormonism how, like, the church is very authority-based, and they're going to hand down, like, rules and revelations from the prophets and stuff. But sometimes some of those things don't agree with the actual words in the scriptures. And this is one of them. You know, the scripture actually says, you know, mild drinks made from grain. And yet today, if you drink beer, that is against the word of wisdom and that will get you barred from the temple. So uh, there, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, so at any rate, uh, those of you who know, like I grew up Mormon, I was Mormon until a few years ago. So I understand this, but I also understand that there may be evidence that might be different from what the church is saying, okay? And so uh, the evidence for the safety of alcohol, it's not fun. The evidence is not fun. Um, so the CDC recommends two a day for men or less, one a day for women or less, um, and that's, that's concerning, like, sort of like long-term health implications, anything that they've seen that could be causing, like, damage to your liver beyond just, like, the day, the day of, okay? However, uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, disagrees that they believe that any and al all alcohol is toxic and they don't want you drinking any at all, um, and I'm not saying that they're a stick in the mud. I think that they have very, very good points and they are also based on research. So um, I'm going to link some, I'm going to link all my resources in the show notes, uh, but I'm going to read a little thing from the, there's a news article that the WHO put out um, on April 1st, 2023. And this is what they have to say is, quote, alcohol is a toxic psychoactive, a and dependence-producing substance and has been classified as a Group 1 carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer decades ago. This is the highest risk group, which also includes asbestos, radiation, and tobacco. Alcohol causes at least seven types of cancer, including the most common cancer types, such as bowel cancer and female breast cancer. Ethanol, or alcohol, causes cancer through biological mechanisms as the compound breaks down in the body, which means that any beverage containing alcohol, regardless of its price or quality, poses a risk of developing cancer. Unquote. Um, end quote. Sorry. So, any amount of alcohol is not going to be healthy for your body. Um, and I know there were some studies you know, earlier about, you know, the Mediterranean diet and how they have like a glass of wine every day and they still, you know, the whole like blue zone idea, like they're still living to the age of 100 more than anyone else on earth and stuff like that. Um, my thoughts on that as a coach is that the wine, the alcohol in the wine is still not great for you. However, they're doing so many other things in their health they're exercising regularly. They're eating fresh, live foods. 
Um, they're living stress-free lives with a lot of social engagement. Um, and when you mix all the lifestyle factors together, uh, maybe some of those things actually counteract the impact that having a glass of wine a day would be. Um, and also considering, you know, when people talk about the Mediterranean diet, these Mediterraneans, from what I understand, are having a glass of wine a night, not a bottle of wine a night. And so, you know, there is something to be said for the dose makes the poison. Okay. So, um, you know, that's, that's the official recommendation. CDC says two or less a day for men, one or one a day or less for women. Um, and the who says none at all. Now, when we talk about like two drinks or a drink, uh, what we want to do is, as simply as possible, different drinks have different amounts of alcohol. And there are little charts that you can look up online. But basically, for your low percent alcohol drinks, beers, ciders, um, uh, seltzers, things like that, they're usually around like 5% total um, alcohol. Usually, like one drink of that is like a 12-ounce, you know, like a can of beer. Not one of the big cans, one of the little cans of beer. <laughs> Uh, wine is five ounces, which is just a little more than a half cup. And so in your big wine glass, usually it's when you fill the, the bulb part at the bottom. Um, cause you know, the shape of the wine glass is kind of like bulby at the bottom. And then it's sort of like almost tube shaped going up toward the top. Most of that glass when you drink wine is supposed to be air. It supposedly changes the bouquet of the wine when you drink it the essences of I don't know anything about wine you guys but like five ounces of wine is basically like you fill it up about an inch and a half <laughs> and that's your glass okay um and then like so that would be considered a drink of wine um when it comes to things like shots one single shot is a drink of whatever that liquor is um so the higher the alcohol percentage, the smaller the unit is, okay? So two units a day of alcohol or less per men, one unit a day or less for women. Or if you follow the who, none at all, okay? Um, abstinence from alcohol is never going to be like a bad idea, but I also want to make sure that you feel like you know what you're doing and that you feel like you're allowed to if you want to and it's not morally bad you get to make your own decision but it is really important that you understand that there are health implications so some of the health concerns that we're looking at with alcohol and again remember like the dose makes the poison like obviously i know the who says like even the tiniest amount of alcohol can be dangerous but in reality your risk of getting cancer or whatever caused by alcohol is going to be much greater if you're drinking daily if you're getting drunk a lot um that kind of situation. So it's kind of the same thing as like cigarettes. It's like, you know, one cigarette is really not good for you. It's not going to be helping you. However, your risk of getting cancer from one cigarette is probably not that much. So the dose makes the poison. Um, obviously, I'm a health coach. I don't want you smoking cigarettes either. <laughs> but but you see how, you know, there's nuance there and, and it is important to make your own choices. So the health concerns of alcohol, um, I've got several listed out. Of course, if you go on the internet, you can find more lists. Like, you know, every source on the internet is going to tell you 11 reasons why you shouldn't drink alcohol, 15 reasons, seven reasons, you know. So I'm just going to list out some of the main most prevalent ones. Um, first is when you're drinking, um, especially if you had more than like one or two, uh, you have a much higher risk of any kind of accidental injury or death. Um, especially if you're doing something silly like driving a car or working heavy machinery. And so like, obviously don't drive drunk. Um, it takes about an hour to metabolize every drink and you don't wanna be getting in the car if you have really any alcohol in your body, you don't feel the, um, how it slows down your reaction time. You don't feel that 
until it's more, but it actually will start to slow your reaction time just even having a little teeny bit of alcohol. And so even if you're like, oh, I feel fine, you still want to make sure that you're, you know, if you go out to happy hour with some friends, you still want to make sure that, you know, you drink early, then have your snacks or dinner, and then wait a little while, chat with your friends before you drive home. Um, or, you know, better yet, have a, have a safe driver, have a, a designated driver with you. Um, and obviously don't go working heavy machinery if you've been drinking. That <laughs> should not need to be said. Um, other health risks, uh, risk of overdose. And you hear about this sometimes with like college parties or high school parties where the, you know, they're drinking liquor and they just don't understand how much they've had. They get, you know, pass out drunk, but sometimes they die, right? Um, and then another one is, you know, prescription interactions. That's fairly common too. You have things like, um, you know, sometimes like antidepressants or things can interact poorly with alcohol and sometimes they can like amplify the feelings of being drunk in a negative way or just any other kind of, of interactions that can make you feel kind of sick. Um, so check thoroughly if you are taking medications, check and just make sure that like it's okay if you drink. And for some, uh, for some types of medications, sometimes maybe it's okay to drink like a drink, but it's not okay to drink a whole bunch. So check with your doctor on things like that. Um, okay, another health concern with alcohol is like uh, depression. And, you know, sometimes that can lead to suicidality. Alcohol is a depressant. And if you are already depressed, alcohol will likely make you feel more depressed. Even if, here's the thing, in the moment, while you're drinking, sometimes alcohol can make you feel a little better. That's why, like, when people are, like, in shock or, you know, you see people, like, well, take a shot when they find out, like, who got elected president or whatever. You know, like, they're in big shock, they take a shot. That's supposed to help sort of, like, dull emotions. Um, which is true, you know, if you're having feelings sometimes in the moment, Drinking can kind of make you feel a little less emotiony. However, it's, it's not without consequences. Um, sometimes alcohol can make you feel more depressed while you're drinking. And a lot of times you can feel more down like the next day. And that's sort of like the unintended side effect that most people aren't really looking at is like, how are you going to feel the next day? If you're drinking while you're depressed, the next day you're probably going to be even more depressed. So I would say like as a health coach, my recommendation would be don't drink while you're feeling depressed, while you're feeling sad, down feelings. Alcohol is probably not going to help you. Okay. And especially, especially if you're suffering from feelings of suicidality, don't touch alcohol period that's that's a time to go get help that's not a time to be drinking drinking will magnify those feelings so be very very careful in that kind of situation okay um all right so that was pretty dark let's move on to the next health concern okay um alcohol greatly uh measurably increases your risk of cancers cardiovascular diseases type 2 diabetes and I want to kind of zone in on diabetes and insulin resistance here because there's there's an interesting thing that happens with your blood sugar with alcohol. Um, so alcohol is um, energy. Your body will burn alcohol for energy. Alcohol is contains um, is measured in calories, just the same as protein, carbs, and fat are measured in calories. Okay, alcohol is seven calories per gram, which is pretty energy dense. Um, to put it into perspective, um, fat, which is the most energy dense uh, mac macronutrient, is nine grams or nine calories per gram, whereas carbs and protein are only four calories per gram. So alcohol being seven calories per gram compared to protein and carbs, which are four, seven is a lot more than four. It's almost double. So um, the amount of energy that you're taking in when you drink alcohol is quite a bit. Now, what happens is 
your body is normally burning mostly carbohydrate for fuel. You know, your mitochondria in your cells are burning carbohydrate and they typically burn it at a pretty steady rate depending on your activity level, okay? And that's how you keep your blood sugar stable is because, you know, you've got that fuel in your bloodstream and it's constantly being fed into your cells. Your cells are constantly burning it at a steady rate depending on, act on activity level um, so that your blood sugar doesn't get too high. Um, and as, as you probably understand from like type 2 diabetes is the poison actually is the high blood sugar. You know, sugar is a preservative. Su sugar at really high levels is toxic. Um, and that's why people with really bad cases of diabetes will like, they'll have to have like their foot amputated and crazy stuff like that because the super high blood sugar levels over time are just very, very toxic for their body. Okay. So when you drink alcohol, remember every gram of sugar is four calories of energy. Every gram of alcohol is seven calories of energy. So it's almost twice as much energy. Your body identifies the alcohol as a toxin. And so it's going to preferentially burn the alcohol instead of the sugar in your bloodstream until the alcohol is all burnt up. So that's what we call metabolizing alcohol. Okay. Is that now your body is pushing the alcohol into the cells to burn for fuel. Now, Understanding that the alcohol is almost twice as energy dense as blood sugar or as sugar, okay, as glucose, um, which means that not only is your body not burning through as, as many grams of alcohol to get the same amount of energy, um, it means that the alcohol is going to stick around in your bloodstream a little bit longer and it means that the glucose in your blood sugar is not getting burnt which means that glucose in your bloodstream is sticking around and circulating until all the alcohol is burnt out and then your body can get back to work working on the the glucose so you see how this can be really dangerous for people who have uh, who already have blood sugar regulation issues okay if your body is preferring to burn out the alcohol instead of the sugar it's going to give you some really major blood sugar spikes and that can be quite dangerous for people so you know if you have insulin resistance if you have type 2 diabetes uh you need to be really really aware of this and really careful around alcohol okay and i'm not going to say you never drink any ever but i am going to say maybe be really careful with your blood sugar level if you do have a drink and, you know, um, do whatever you need to do in your, in your blood sugar regulation strategies, uh, when you do drink. So, um, it's really not recommended that people with diabetes drink alcohol ever. Okay. So that's just an important information that important piece of information that you need to keep in mind. Um, Okay, so moving on with our health concerns list, the next one, which is kind of tied to that, is weight gain. And so if we go back to the discussion about how your body preferentially burns the alcohol rather than the sugar, we talked about how many calories per gram uh, are, are in alcohol. Like, that's a lot of energy. It's almost twice as, as energy dense. What can happen is that it's not necessarily that your body's Converting the alcohol directly into fat, I don't know if it does. You can double check me on that, but I don't think it does. But all that extra sugar in your bloodstream, one of the ways to get the glucose out of the bloodstream is to convert that to fat. Um, so you can gain weight drinking alcohol. And um, it's not because your body is just creating fat out of nowhere. It's, there are calories coming in. Um, so you need to be aware of that. Okay. So alcohol, um, if you are trying to lose weight or you're watching your weight, alcohol is not going to help you. You may choose to, um, abstain or maybe drink less than normal. 
Um, and then the other thing with like gaining weight with alcohol too, is when you're drinking, you tend to eat more and they've, they've done, you know, a plethora of studies on this. You feel more relaxed. You're having a good time. Um, food tastes better. You appreciate it more. You crave more. A lot of times you're in social situations. A lot of times you're in situations where the food is different from your normal food that you have more like control over. Maybe you're out at a party or at a restaurant or whatever, and you know, people are ordering nachos and fries and sharing, and there's no way to really keep track of how much you've eaten. And you're just having such a good time. You're not really paying attention. So a lot of times alcohol causes, you know, weight gain because you're just eating more. Um, so also be aware of that. You know, what I like to tell my clients is like, if you're going to have a night where you are likely going to eat more than normal, that's your choice. And you get to choose, like, is it worth it to you to sort of just like be off plan for that event? That's okay. If that's your strategy and you're doing that on purpose, that's awesome. Um, and otherwise, you know, you can come up with some strategies to maybe be a little more controlled about what you eat or what you drink at your party and see if, you know, are there ways that you can interact with that and still have a fun time, but maybe without eating all the things. And one of the biggest strategies for a situation like that when you're at a party or an event would be skip the alcohol and then you can go ahead and eat some of the stuff, but without drinking, you're going to feel a lot more, um, you're going to be more capable of making better choices around the foods at the party. Okay. So the third thing about weight gain from alcohol too, is just bloat. Um, alcohol is a toxin. It is, uh, irritating to your gut and all your organs and things. It will cause bloat, especially if you drink like more than a drink or two. Um, I have noticed in my own body and talking to other people like, you can, I, I can be bloated for like five days afterwards if I have a really big drinking night. I don't do that very often. I don't like the way that I feel, but I've definitely noticed, um, when it comes to like bloat and inflammation and just kind of like feeling stiff, that can last several days and it can be really impactful to like my work day <laughs> and my my parenting so you know that bloat and that inflammation is definitely a side effect again like the more you drink the more bloat and the more inflammation you're going to have um so if you don't like that just be aware um and then also there's hangovers like of course like you've you've either i'm sure you've either experienced if you do drink or you've heard of hangovers and that's basically you know, it's the day after you've been drinking too much and your body is angry at you and you're feeling the dehydration, you're feeling the inflammation. Um, you, it probably messed with your sleep, you know. Uh, you can feel very ill <laughs> the day after you drank too much. I, as a health coach, would recommend that you try not to drink enough to get hungover. Um, that does some pretty nasty stuff to your, to your liver, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think, uh, dehydration is probably something that we want to hit on real quick. Just the fact that alcohol dehydrates you. Um, and that's partially that's some, where some of the stiffness and stuff comes from, but it's, you know, it's hard on your kidneys. You'll retain fluid. Um, if you've ever stepped on the scale after drinking, like, you know, the next morning, like a lot of times you're up a couple of pounds because you're, you're hanging on to fluid, like you're retaining fluid, but you're also dehydrated at the same time. And so the recommendation there though, is that if you are ever taking shots or if you're ever drinking like more than a drink or two, that you try to make sure that you're drinking water, at least the same amount of water as the alcoholic beverage that you're having. And also that you make sure that you're keeping water handy all night long, that you're just, you're drinking water all night long. And that will help disrupt a lot of the dehydration symptoms. And in a lot of ways that can help prevent a lot of the hangover. Okay. So keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. So, uh, moving on, moving on. 
that was a lot of science-y stuff. Um, I am going to include all of my sources in the show notes. So if you want to read more about stuff, um, I'll make that available. Um, so then, you know, with that, with the science-y stuff, now I want to move on to like my own experience um, because I know that like a lot of listeners here, like if you're just stepping out of the church or you're just starting to experiment with alcohol for the first time, it's sometimes it can feel like you you're coming from a place with a lot of very rigid rules and then you're stepping out into the daylight and it's just like like now what like (laughs) like okay so if the rules that I was living my life by are suddenly just like gone how do I interact with the world now uh because you know I I understand the um the Mormon colored glasses the Mormon colored lenses and while that can be really helpful in a lot of ways, it can also be pretty harmful. And I want to help you guys avoid like, you know, what, what people always say, like going off the deep end, <laughs> which <laughs> that phrase is so silly to me because, you know, people in the church use that to sort of like discredit people who have left the church and have started to maybe like start drinking a little bit and you know for the mindset of people in the church where all alcohol is sin even one drink they're going to think that you've gone off the deep end and they're going to discredit you but in reality it's like most people drink sometimes and even the most successful people in the world drink sometimes and some of the most highest moral people in the world drink sometimes. Um, and you would never say that they went off the deep end, you know. So uh, <laughs> don't go off the deep end. Anyway, so my experience, um, I was, you know, I was Mormon most of my life. And I was a total abstinence person. Like I, I did not drink, period. In fact, as a young adult, um, I had I had a degree in music, in jazz studies from BYU-Idaho. I was a jazz drummer. And so after college, for several years, I was a professional drummer and, and doing the freelance gig thing. And I was just getting whatever job came to me. And one of the first big jobs that I got was uh, traveling around with a country band <laughs> and in Arkansas. Um, and, and we traveled, we would travel around to Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and all around Arkansas. I think we went to Texas one time, you know, we would do these big weekend trips where we'd drive out to like some honky tonk somewhere with our trailer and all of our equipment. And we'd set up for the weekend. We'd play like a Friday night and then a Saturday night gig. Um, these big long gigs, like starting at like 10 p.m. and going until like two in the morning and sometimes they were longer than that but my bandmates they would spend their entire weekend's worth of pay on their bar tab like while we were there they would get blasted drunk and at the time me being like a 22 year old married mormon girl like the whole honky-tonk bar scene was totally foreign, and I was not comfortable. <laughs> um, I ended up being the designated driver because I complained because we had been on a road trip down to Camden, Arkansas one time, driving through the country roads, and the band leader was drinking Southern Comfort straight from the bottle as he was driving, and he was passing it around the car. And... Like, that was so stupid. <laughs> and, and I complained. And so um, they knew that I don't drink at all. So I became the designated driver for them. But, you know, even while I was driving the car with the trailer, um, they would just get so mean. Like, they, they'd be totally blasted drunk. And they'd be, like, yelling at me and making fun of me. And they thought it was funny. But, like, they were just being mean and... I was too young and dumb to understand about boundaries and I had sort of been taught that like girls are supposed to be submissive and never complain, never show your opinions. And so I was uncomfortable in the situation, but I didn't have the vocabulary to even understand 
that I was uncomfortable. Um, that could be another entire podcast about suppressing emotions and the impacts on your mental health and your physical health. But at any rate, that's where I was. I didn't even understand that I was uncomfortable, but I was very uncomfortable. And I, you know, at any rate, <laughs> I'm really glad that I had the experience in that band. I stayed with them for about four months until there was one gig where one of my bandmates came up to me and um, I, I would drink these Red Bull drinks, these caffeine, um, little caffeine sodas. And because the, the gigs were really late at night, you know, we would play until two in the morning. And I was a drummer, obviously. People cannot dance if the drummer is tired. <laughs> so I would drink caffeine. And one of my bandmates comes up to me with a cup with ice and this Red Bull drink in it. And that was super nice. And he hands it to me and he's like, oh, I was thinking of you. I got you a drink. And I drank some of it. And I was thinking, ah, oh, this tastes weird. Something's up with this Red Bull. And this bandmate just starts laughing and laughing and laughing. And I was like, what? What's the joke? And he's like, I had them put vodka in there. You're drinking alcohol. Ah, ha, ha. And like, he knew I was Mormon. He knew that I didn't drink. And, you know, they all knew... And slipping something into somebody's drink, no matter what it is, is not okay. So I stood up and I dumped my drink all over the front of this guy and I yelled at him. I even said some swear words, which was a really big deal for being 22 years old and Mormon. I called him a little shit very loudly. And, you know, I dumped my drink all over the front of him. I felt I was justified. I kind of still feel like I was justified. I think that anybody who slips anything into anyone else's drink without them knowing it deserves to be yelled at and have a cold drink poured all over the front of them. At any rate, his phone was in his shirt pocket, his little flip phone, and I may have broken his phone, dumping my drink on the front of him. And that was the weekend. That was my last weekend with them because I got fired. And poor little me, I felt so bad that I got fired, but like, it was actually a kindness. Like I should have walked away. I just didn't have the emotional maturity to know that I was uncomfortable the whole time. At any rate, it was, it was a blessing from on high because the very day that they fired me, I got a phone call from a band that was a jazz band which was a perfect fit for me because remember my degree was in jazz studies and I loved playing jazz and um, it was a big band and I stayed with this big band for probably five years until we moved away. Like I still have friends in that band to this day. It was so much fun. Um, and none of them, <laughs> none of them put any pressure on me to drink alcohol. <laughs> um, at any rate, that's my story about alcohol. Like I was very, very stalwart in, you know, not bending the rules um, for many years. Okay. And actually I was, I was still in alcohol or I was still in alcohol. Excuse me. <laughs> I was still in Arkansas. So we lived in Arkansas for about five years after college. So as a young adult, still in Arkansas, and I sort of went through like my faith transition. Um, I didn't believe in the church anymore. And that was, those were the years that I actually started to talk about it with a, a small number of people, because uh, I'm sure that my experience is not unique here, but coming from inside Mormonism, when your beliefs change, it is really, really difficult to talk to people because there's a big fear of like social backlash and of hurting people's feelings. Um, and that still is an issue today. But, you know, I, I was sort of just going to church, pretending. <laughs> I didn't want anyone to know that I was different or that I was doubting or that I didn't really believe anymore. And for a number of years, it was really uncomfortable because I did not like a lot of the things people would say. I thought that a lot of the things people said were unfair at church and sometimes watching general conference, some of the things that they would say at the pulpit were really uh, 
to me, were really downright mean and offensive. And I couldn't tell anyone about that because everyone else was, you know, they they loved the church and they believed in it and it was, you know, it was good for them and it wasn't good for me and I was different. And during the time in Arkansas, um, I finally started to talk to my husband a little more openly about it and, you know, we could have a whole podcast on our development together out of the church. But it was a uh, it was uncomfortable. So we we sort of came to my husband and I sort of came to an understanding that you know, I would still continue to attend church, but I didn't need to pretend like I was a believer. I could just you know, I could just be myself, but he he was uncomfortable with me talking about any of the reasons why I didn't believe in the church anymore. And I didn't want to cause, you know, I didn't want to make him uncomfortable or anyone else. And um, I was still very young. You know, I didn't know about, <laughs> I didn't know about standing up for myself or making my own choices at that time. And, you know, and he was still very young. And at any rate, so we decided that I would continue to go to the church, uh, but I didn't have to, like, do what they said. <laughs> and um, so I didn't drink alcohol. For years and years, uh, we eventually moved to Texas. I had more kids, continued to attend church, but this time in Texas, I decided I wasn't going to pretend anymore. I was just going to be me. I was going to be Lindsay. Lindsay does not like wearing dresses. For anyone who knows me, I am very mask. I am. I grew up a tomboy. I have always been, you know, power tools, drums. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't really like most of the quote-unquote, you know, feminine, feminine things. I don't like lace. I don't like frills. I don't wear makeup. I have very little patience for the um, fixation that women in our culture have with the way that they look. Um, it doesn't equate to me in my brain. And so you can see how, like, my personality... I really struggled in the church because you're supposed to wear dresses and you're supposed to act a certain way and you're supposed to be interested in, you know, certain things as a female. And I wasn't interested in any of those female things. I didn't want to sew quilts for our young women's activities. You know, I didn't want to do crafts and, you know, um, what are the the craft books, the um, scrapbooks and things like zero, zero, zero interest. I wanted to go on hikes. I wanted to do like what the Boy Scouts were doing, like the fun, you know, 50 mile backpacking hikes. And, you know, of course, we never got to do them because, you know, girls are not supposed to be into that stuff. Um, but at any rate, you know, so as an adult in Texas, I didn't want to wear dresses anymore. Plus, I had volunteered to be in the nursery, to um, serve in the nursery, so that they wouldn't give me a calling anywhere else, because <laughs> I didn't want to be teaching lessons and stuff. And I kind of wanted to have an excuse to stay out of gospel doctrine, because I was very, very uncomfortable in gospel doctrine. When people would raise their hands and say stuff, people sometimes have no filters, and... I more often than not would just like sort of get up and leave gospel doctrine when the discussion went that direction because I didn't want to like stand up and like fight for my values or anything. I, I would just get up and leave. Um, so I figured if I'm working in the nursery, then then I won't have to worry about any of that. You know, all the the um, all the cognitive dissonance would be taken care of, and I would be helping, and you know, and I was friends with everyone at church, and I wanted to be helping so that they could go to their classes that they enjoyed and. So I was happy to do nursery, but if you've ever done nursery wearing a dress, it's, it's really hard to be like getting down on the floor with the kids and have the kids sitting on your lap and, you know, be help cleaning up the toys and things down on your hands and knees when you're wearing a dress. And so wearing pants to church was the only solution to working in the nursery. And it's funny because when I was new in Texas and I would wear pants to church, <laughs> all the other women at the church started to gossip about me which is hilarious because you know after after years and friendship like they all know me they all understand me 
now, but like at the time it was like really controversial. That was just a couple of years after like the Kate Kelly stuff with, you know, wearing pants to church day. And um, <laughs> anyway, it's pretty funny because now a lot of my friends do wear trousers from time to time in their church dress rotation. And, you know, my how the times have changed. But at any rate, during that time, that's when I started to experiment with a little bit of alcohol, just a little bit. And I, I didn't want to tell my husband because I didn't want him to be uncomfortable. He was still in the church. He still wanted to stay for several years. And um, I met my BFF in that ward and we bonded. She eventually left the church um, and she actually, she actually introduced me to several of the drinks that I learned to drink. So thanks, Michelle. I love you. <laughs> um, so that's how I got introduced to alcohol, little by little by little. And then finally, just before COVID, my husband finally agreed that the church was no longer healthy for him and for us as a family. And so we sort of officially stepped away just before COVID. Um, and that's kind of when we both sort of started openly, you know, trying some drinks and things. And, you know, to this day now, once in a while, we'll have a beer together and it's wonderful. And the great thing is about like learning to drink alcohol once you're already like an established adult is like a lot of that social pressure that a lot of people have like as like high schoolers or young adults in college, you know, that kind of experience to drink all the time. And then, you know, maybe they end up like sick or maybe they end up with like addiction issues and stuff. Um, we didn't start drinking until we were like fully established adults. And so we sort of skipped all that. And it's been kind of nice to just sort of settle into a lifestyle where we'll have a drink or two, like, I don't know, once a week or so, or to be able to drink with friends when we get together. Um, but, you know, we sort of started out with moderation because as adults, you know, we, we understand the health implications. I had already been like a nutritionist. Um, I had already had my nutritionist cert before we started drinking alcohol for the first time. So I'd already had some, some training in, in, you know, alcohol safety and stuff like that. And, um, so it's just been really nice that we, we know that we can drink. We have some drinks in the fridge. We have a little liquor cabinet and we pull them out every once in a while. Um, but we also have enough experience now by this point to know that we're not like drawn to alcohol, um, like, I guess there's always kind of the fear that, like, you're going to be, you're going to have one drink and you're going to, like, be addicted. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure that that is really how it works. But at any rate, I do know that I'm not craving alcohol. Like, it's nice to have a drink once, once a week or so, but I don't crave it. And I, I just don't see that for me personally. Like, alcohol addiction is ever really going to be an issue. But I, I do understand that that is an issue for a lot of people. And, um, you know, and, and I think it's important to, to sort of be aware of your alcohol use you know, from the very beginning when you first start drinking, just to try to avoid those types of complications, you know. And if you do end up in that kind of situation where you feel like you are addicted, um, how important it is to go and get help, get proper help from medical professionals. Um, and then for that population, if you are addicted to alcohol, really abstinence is like the only way to live your life. Occasional drinking is not a good idea for someone in that situation. Um, so to wrap, I just wanted to recommend some of my favorites for those of you who are new to drinking and want some recommendations. Um, it is really fun to experiment and try all the different things and you're going to find things that you hate. <laughs> There is a lot of alcohol that tastes really bad, especially to people who are new to alcohol. And that's okay, because for one thing, you don't have to drink it. Like, you don't have to start drinking. You don't have to like drinking. Um, if it tastes bad, don't drink it, <laughs> right? Um, but if you do, you know, to me, some of the best, my recommendations would be start out with something a little sweeter and a little bit more, like, a familiar taste. Okay, so start out with something like a dessert wine. There's some tasty dessert wines. 
Um, and then as you become more accustomed to the taste of wines, you probably, most people start to prefer drier wines, which is, uh, dry is a word that means less sweet, less sugary. But when you're new to alcohol, like the dessert wines, they just taste like grape juice. Like some of them are very, very tasty. Um, some of them still do taste kind of like medicine. So it's like, there's such a wide variety of tastes in wines. Go to the grocery store when they have their wine samples out. Go try all the different ones. Chat it up with the, chore, the, with the store employee to see which ones she likes best. And just start learning line upon line, precept on precept about wine. Because wine is one of the most rewarding alcohols to learn about. It can also be one of the grossest. <laughs> um, so little by little by little. Uh, wines are great though. Start with the dessert wines and then you work your way to the drier tastes. Um, also, uh, margaritas. If you have a Mexican restaurant, get yourself a blended margarita with uh, not just salt on the rim, but get tahine on the rim. Tahine is that lime chili salt. It looks kind of like red, red flakes, a red um, seasoning. So good with margaritas. So margaritas are pretty sweet. Um, and if you learn to do your own margarita recipes, you know, experiment with how much sweetness you like. Because most people, like I said, you know, start out loving super duper sweet stuff. And then as you get used to the taste of these drinks, most people prefer to go less and less sweet as you go. So I, I love a good sour margarita, a good lime margarita. Um ciders are awesome for new drinkers um again like the sweeter ones are best for like brand new drinkers but as you get used to them most people prefer to go less and less sweet so um the sweeter ones would be things like pineapple or tropical flavor ciders and then the less sweet ones you have like dry ciders um but the, the brands that I really like for ciders are Austin East Cider and Angry Orchard Cider. Um, Angry Orchard comes in these really fun long neck bottles, so you feel like you're drinking something really special. <laughs> um, but those are grocery store Like, you can find them anywhere. Uh, my favorite is this Rosé Cider. I think that's by Austin East. Um, but it's, it's cider, so it's a little sweeter, but it's Rosé... Rosé is a type of wine, and so it's like rosé wine, but as a cider, it it's really good. I promise. <laughs> if you ever find it on tap anywhere, try that. Um, another type of alcohol that's like pretty easy for new people is seltzers, um, and especially if you're going for like a lower calorie option, seltzers usually don't have any added sugar. Um, a lot of times they may taste a little more like artificial sweeteners. Um, so if you're okay with the taste of artificial sweeteners, you know, go for it. I think my favorite brand is White Claw. Um, and they, these ciders are typically 100 calories. So they, they are kind of a lower calorie option. Um, also, beer is a really hard one to get used to, but beer is one of the least expensive and most available ones. And if you're going to be hanging out, like, with your neighbors on barbecue night, there's always going to be beer. So, you know... Acquiring a taste for beer is going to be kind of useful for situations like that. But, you know, it is true that the more often you try it, the easier it is to like it. And you'll you'll actually start to like it. I know it's totally weird because it beer is awful at the beginning. But I promise if you stick with it, there will be some that you like. <laughs> um, so I typically... I, you know, if I'm developing a taste for something from scratch, I would prefer to develop a taste for the lower calorie option. I know, which is sort of like weenie of me, but I lean into like the light beers, light lagers. So lager is the, the super common cheap type of beer, um, like your Budweiser and your Coors and um, those types of things are lagers. Okay. And they tend to taste a little more bready and a little less bitter. Um, and to me, I, I just, I have a very strong bitter receptors in my, like I, my taste, I taste bitter really strongly. So I don't like bitter beers at all. So I like to stick to the lagers. Um, 
I can't handle the grown-up beers. I can't handle the IPAs and the stouts and, you know, those types of things. I, I can't do it. It's too bitter for me. Um, the name of the bitter taste is called hops. And so when you're looking at beers or when you're talking with people who drink beer, when they talk about hops, it's the bitter taste. Okay. Some people love hops. And for a lot of people, the more hops, the better. Um, to me, it like, it makes my tongue go numb and fall out of my mouth. I hate it. <laughs> so watch out for that. Um, and then, you know, um, as far as like mixing drinks and stuff, like it is really fun little hobby to get into mixing drinks and experimenting with recipes. And I think my favorite is the Moscow Mule. Uh, two ounces of vodka to one ounce of Kahlua. Kahlua is the coffee liqueur. And then just like one little bloop of cream, just bloop of cream. And then you stir it up. You've got some ice in there and it's sweet um, and creamy. And Kahlua is really sweet. <laughs> So you don't want to put too much in there, but um, uh, it's one of my favorites. So good. And you have to drink your mixed drinks in a glass glass. I don't know if anyone told you this rule or not, but my sister insisted on it. Glass glass glasses for drinking drinks, especially if there's ice, because you need to be able to feel the cold. You need to have like water condensation on the outside of that glass. It's very important if you're drinking grown-up drinks. Okay. Um. Also, for mixed drinks, a really simple one is the, um, oh, what's it called? Mojito. And it's where, like, the super easy, super easy way to make it is to get, like, some 7-Up or a lime. And you need, like, a little sprig of fresh mint. And um, let's see, it, it's just white rum. Like you just pour like a shot of white rum and maybe half a can of soda, maybe a little bit of lime, and then a little sprig of fresh mint. And you um, squish the fresh mint around just a little bit so it releases some of the flavor. So good. Um, so that's my other favorite mixed drink. And then last but not least, I want to talk about liquor because liquor is pretty fun. It's also very potent. Um... So things that you would be taking shots of, you know, you've got all kinds of, um, you know, whiskey and vodka and tequila and there's, there's all these different liquors, but if you want to feel bougie, get, um, get into bourbon. Bourbon is very strong tasting. Okay. And it's like the new connoisseur alcohol. But basically, you get a what they call a rock, so like a big old piece of ice. If you're really bougie, there's actually like stone rocks that you can buy and you put in the freezer. And that's why they call it like on the rocks. Um, and you could use that for your ice cube. But having a huge cube of ice is really fun. You can get these little silicon ice cube makers from Amazon and make your own giant ice cubes. Uh, it's super fun. But so bourbon, you put it like one shot's worth so like an ounce or two ounces in your cup remember it's got to be a glass cup with a huge piece of ice and you have to sort of swirl it around let it sit with the ice um because the water melting off the ice actually interacts with the flavor of the bourbon you get all these subtle notes of all these flavor profiles and terminology that I don't actually know the name of for how people talk about the tastes of things. But the, the water that melts off the ice sort of unlocks some of the flavor in the bourbon. And, you know, sometimes there's like a smoky taste and sometimes there's a little more acid or a little sweetness on the back end. And, um, you know, you, you can make a whole hobby out of like bourbon, right? But my favorite and most accessible is Crown Royal. You've probably heard the name of that brown. Crown Royal comes in these really nice little bags. Uh, and people use the little Crown Royal bags to like keep their game dice in or their Scrabble pieces in. Um, Crown Royal has a vanilla flavor that is delightful. But here's the trick, though. If you're drinking bourbon and stuff you measure it in fingers 
you don't want very much. If your ice is smaller than you think it is, don't fill up your cup to the same level that you did when the ice was big because bourbon is like 100 proof or like 80 proof. Like there's a lot of alcohol in there and like one drink should be tiny. Like one unit of bourbon should be tiny. It should be like a shot's worth. Um, And you could accidentally overdo it on something like bourbon or any of the liquors, any of the things that you would be like taking shots of, you can overdo it really easily because like it takes a little while for alcohol to sort of become the, for your body to react with it. Like sometimes it can take up to like 30 minutes to like get the full drunkenness from the drink that you drink. And excuse me, you can accidentally get uncomfortably drunk if you're just drinking bourbon without paying attention to how many drinks you had. Okay. Um, I speak from experience. It can be very uncomfortable. I promise you don't really want the room spinning and spinning and spinning. Uh, you, you don't want to feel like you're going to puke. That's not fun anymore. You know? So, um, if you do drink something like bourbon, I recommend that you actually measure how much you take and, Again, make sure you have some ice and a glass glass to drink it out of. And then just little sips because you want to enjoy it in the sippy kind of bougie way that people do with bourbon. Um, I feel very special when I drink bourbon. Uh, I only drink it on special occasions. So at any rate, so that's, that's all my input on alcohol. Like take it or leave it. You can drink or you cannot. There are definitely are some situations where you probably should stay away completely. Um, Some, you know, in cases of addiction or like diabetes or things like that, if you have health conditions or medications that interact with alcohol, it's okay to not drink, right? It's okay to make that decision. Um, But also if you do want to be drinking, you know, I hope that you got some good tips out of this and I hope that you Understand some of the risks and some of the science so that you can make an informed decision on what works for you in your life. And, you know, I just kind of want to double down on this idea that like coming out of Mormonism that, you know, that alcohol was a sin and that's this very black and white look on it. And ultimately, like now at this point in your life, if you've left the church or if you're still in, but you really... um you're maybe not taking the the divine authority the same way as you used to. Um, viewing something like alcohol or any food or drink as like a 100% black and white, you know, good versus evil type of morality is ultimately not really going to serve you. And so I want to make sure that you understand all the ins and outs, that you understand the risks, the benefits, and ultimately that you can take your own autonomy, take authority back for yourself, make up your own mind like the grown-up that you are. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. That's it for this episode of Health Beyond Mormonism. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share it with someone you love. Search, ponder, and pray about what you learned today. Come find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and return and report. We'll see you guys next time.